You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. Every year, typically in late summer or early autumn, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service releases its annual report on waterfowl harvest estimates from the previous hunting season. Now, understandably, this is an exciting report that garners a lot of uh, interest and attention from scientists and hunters alike, yet I think it's fair to say the details of how these estimates are obtained and the important role that hunters play in the process are often uh, either taken for granted, overlooked, or otherwise just not really well understood. In the next couple of episodes here on the podcast, we're going to be joined by two people that know this process extremely well, quite, uh, quite possibly better than anyone else that we could have brought on the show. And we're going to have them help explain the different parts of the harvest estimation process so we can all get a better appreciation for it and understand what goes on uh, in that process. So with that said, I am uh, very pleased to welcome to the show two special guests, each of whom I'm happy to call longtime friends and colleagues, Dr. Kathy Fleming with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Kathy is the Chief of the Branch of Monitoring and Data Management, and Dr. Paul Padding a retired U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service representative to the Atlantic Flyway. So, Kathy, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. And, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here, too. Yeah, so for the listeners here, we're, we're doing something a bit different on this episode. We're, uh, as most folks know, we're still somewhat early in the process of this, this podcast, and this is the first time that we've had two people call into the show. So just to explain what's going on, we have both Kathy and Paul on a conference call, and I am here in the studio, 
And we're going to see how this works. Uh, it's a bit of a challenge compared to uh, the, the way we normally do this with just one person calling in. So, so bear with us if we have a few hiccups. We're going to do the best we can uh, to make this uh, sound great, piece it all together for you. So with that, with that said, we're going to get into the harvest discussion momentarily, but we want to begin by introducing each of our guests to you, uh, the listeners. And so, Kathy, let's start with you. Tell us a bit about your background, where you are right now in your position, and, and what you do there. Uh, well, I have a background in wildlife biology. I have a um, bachelor's and master's and PhD. Uh, my PhD was studying wild turkeys, which isn't really waterfowl, but uh, somewhat close. Um, I am currently the branch chief of monitoring and data management for the Migratory Bird Program and the Fish and Wildlife Service, and I've been working with the service for about almost 15 years now. Okay. And Paul, tell us, uh, tell us the same for you. Well, I'm, uh, my uh, educational background is also uh, wildlife biology. I started with the Fish and Wildlife Service in 1991 as the Wingbee coordinator in what was then the section of waterfowl harvest surveys. Um, after about two and a half years of that, my boss got promoted and I'm not sure it was a great idea, but so did I, and I became the chief of that section, and uh, uh, I was chief of the Harvest Surveys Group until, uh, let's see, 2007, when I uh, moved over to be uh, the Atlantic Flyway representative. And if I understand correctly, you are, uh, I think I, I might have mentioned this with your introduction, you're, you're currently retired, and that's a recent retirement, Correct. Yeah, I forgot to say that. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yes, at, at the end of August of 2019, I uh, I've retired and uh, I'm enjoying retirement immensely. More time to hunt. Very good. Uh, well, I'm tempted to ask you questions about that, but I know we have a lot to discuss here. One thing I, I want to unpack a little for our listeners relates to uh, how things are structured there with uh, with you uh, and. and and I know there have been some name changes to the branches. Uh, I don't exactly understand how all those go, but but briefly, Kathy, let's start with you. Uh, you're the chief of the branch of monitoring and data management, but that was a that changed names here recently, didn't it? Yes, yeah. So I and I neglected to mention that that um, about two years ago, uh, in the division of migratory bird management. We reorganized a little bit, and uh, this was an effort to put a little bit more of a focus on data management, improving how we collect data, analyze it, and make it accessible for other people to use it. And so um, we, we took the existing staff from harvest surveys and also some staff that were focused on monitoring, such as our waterfowl surveys, um, and pulled them all together into this new branch. And so the, so my branch includes all the people who used to be in harvest surveys, and that was the same group that Paul used to be the chief of, plus uh, several other people who have different, um, different job responsibilities related to monitoring within our program. Okay, so to follow up on that, do I understand correctly? I think you mentioned this. I just want to make sure. You're... Your group is also responsible for the um, for overseeing the the spring breeding population survey. Is that right? Well, it's a joint effort of several branches, but uh, I would say that the people in our branch that focus on the waterfowl survey do the part um, after the data have been collected by our pilots. 
they send it back to us here and we um, clean the data and archive it and analyze it and produce estimates. So it is a joint effort um, from both branches, but our branch takes care of much, much of the managing of that data. I guess at the at the very high level, Kathy, let's just talk about the types of waterfowl harvest. Uh, most folks don't think only about uh, harvest that that occurs by your your waterfowl you know hunters during the regular duck duck and goose season. But uh, whenever from your seat, when you think about the types of waterfowl harvest, what are we looking at? Well, uh, there is the the main source of the harvest in the United States does come from sportsmen um, hunting. But there's also subsistence harvest um, for some species um, that accounts for a much smaller percentage of the total harvest than sport harvest. Yeah, and and so within each of those, uh, what would we? What do you know, or what do we know about the size of the waterfowl harvest as it occurs each year? Um, what are we? What are the most? And what are some of the most commonly harvested species out there? Well, the annual duck harvest in the U.S. is about 12 million, give or take. Uh, it does vary from year to year. And that's duck harvest, so you could compare that to the total migratory bird harvest because we do survey more than just waterfowl, uh, which is about 24 million um, birds harvested each year. Uh, there's about 1 million birds harvested in Canada and maybe 100,000 in Mexico. And... Then goose harvest is about 3 million in the U.S., um, probably less than about 50,000 in Mexico and also about a million in Canada. Kathy, I want to back up here for just a second. I thought I heard you say something about 12 million harvested and then also 24 million. What, what's the distinction there? So, yeah, 12 million ducks harvested, but that's out of a total of about 24 million migratory birds harvested. So that includes all the other species of migratory birds um, that could be doves, woodcock, cranes, um, coots, snipe, gallinule. Um, we survey quite a few species, not just waterfowl. So that's just putting it into perspective. Okay, so the, then by those calculations, the waterfowl harvest accounts for about half of the total uh, migratory bird harvest in the U.S. So I that did not realize that. And you had asked about the most important species. And so we we do provide this in our annual report that you can get from our website. But um, my for last year, uh, species uh, of ducks, the highest harvested species are mallards and then green-winged teal, gadwall, wood ducks, and blue-winged teal. Paul, I want to move to you now. And uh, Let's talk about the the importance of waterfowl harvest estimates. Uh, how are they used in the management uh, and study of waterfowl population, whether they be harvest regulation or, or otherwise? And so the basic way of saying this is why is harvest estimation important in the first place? Well, back when the harvest surveys were, were first uh, uh, developed in the 1950s, in the 50s and 60s, um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, information on, on ducks and geese. We did not have a banding program at the time. Uh, we did have, uh, and, and I, I use we <laughs> sort of liberally. I wasn't there at the time, obviously, but uh, they had a, a midwinter survey. And uh, in the 50s, the spring breeding population survey was just getting started. So uh, those were the two pieces of data that they had. And then if you, with, with harvest, a harvest survey gave estimates of harvest. So that gave kind of an indirect estimate of harvest rate. Um, 
the uh, number of birds on the midwinter survey and compared with the number of birds harvested gives you an idea of uh, what proportion of the total ducks in, in, on the continent were being taken every year. Um, that so that was kind of a, the the first use of it, but that became quite a bit less important when we developed the preseason banding program in the 60s and 70s. Uh, that program provides us with uh, direct estimates of harvest rates for a lot of key species like you know, mallards, pintails, wood ducks, and Canada geese. Uh, nowadays, harvest estimates are used along with band recovery data. Uh, to get indirect estimates of some of the species that are difficult to sur survey directly. Um, it's, uh, it, the, the habitats that wood ducks are in and snow geese and white-fronted geese make them pretty difficult to survey directly. And um, so uh, if, if you have an estimate of harvest and, and an estimate of harvest rate, you can back calculate to the population size. It's called the Lincoln Estimator, and you may have talked about that with someone else in one of your other podcasts. The, another good thing that these estimates are used for now is that they enable us to predict the impact of harvest on, uh, when we're contemplating various regulatory changes. And I want to just give an example of that because that, uh, that doesn't that doesn't sound uh, uh, very direct. But uh, some years ago, I think about eight or 10 years ago, we were considering um, changing the bag limit on wood ducks from two birds a day to three birds a day. Uh, the, the wood duck population had, had increased quite a bit over over the, past, the previous 20 years, and it seemed like uh, we could probably sustain another bird in the bag. So, with the information that we have from harvest surveys that tells us um, how many people shoot two birds, shoot three birds, shoot four birds of various different species, we could look at those estimates and estimate how much of an increase in the harvest of wood ducks, an increase from one from two birds to three in the bag would uh, would be expected to uh, to result in. The analysis that we did on that predicted about a 10% increase in wood duck harvest. Uh, that was uh, acceptable, that was sustainable, so we went ahead and made the change. And it turned out after the fact uh, that uh, the actual harvest increase was about 8%, so um, very close to right on the money. So that kind of information is really helpful when you're trying to figure out, well, how, can can we press the uh, press the envelope a little more, or or uh, and it also helps when we're trying when we need to reduce harvest. Uh, we don't want to reduce it too much, and we have good information from the harvest survey that lets us um, uh, lets us predict what the results will be of various actions. Mike, I know that you're familiar with this, is that our harvest estimates are also used to determine where duck stamp funding funding is spent. So when hunters provide us the information of the county where they harvested the bird, those counties with the highest harvest are considered to be better areas for preserving wetlands. That's a great point to, to draw out there, Kathy. That's something that I had overlooked in my development of this outline, so thanks for catching that. And that's, that's a incredibly important use uh, of this data that I'm fairly confident folks are not uh, not terribly aware of. 
So, Paul, I want to go back to you real quick. Uh, you began to touch on this when you talked about banding, and uh, so I want to, and how that developed in, in the 60s and 70s. And so given where we are now, you know, we've, we've rapidly expanded or greatly expanded our banding program uh, since those days. And, and so some might think, well, harvest estimation isn't as important as it once was for kind of figuring out the impact of harvest regulations on the population. But that's not necessarily true, is it? Because isn't, don't we still rely more heavily on the harvest estimates for some species that might be harder to ban than, than others? Yes, we do, Mike. I, I think the harvest estimates are most important for the species we don't ban very many of, and and also the ones that our population surveys don't cover all that well. Species like buffleheads, hooded mergansers, and sea ducks. That might not sound uh, all that important to a lot of uh, a lot of your hunters. You know, uh, many of us are after mallards and wood ducks, but those are species that are uh, uh, that are really important to keep an eye on. And I think uh, a large decline in the harvest of one of those species would be the best indicator that we have that the species might be in trouble. There might not be any other way to figure that out. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. As we go through this discussion, we're going to hit on numerous areas where hunters play an incredibly valuable role in providing the data. And a lot of times you hear or see uh, messages of people uh, almost trying to game the system, if you will, uh, by not reporting something or trying to over-report something. But I think the, one, the thing that we want to emphasize is that the data that we get from, from hunters is valuable in so many ways and in ways that I, I think is not completely appreciated. So 
hey, if you're a hunter, the safe bet is to participate at the highest level possible with the reporting of all your data and do it uh, in, in, a, in a straightforward manner. And, and that's going to get us the best outcome all around in terms of habitat conservation, population management. That's the safe bet. So um, it's, uh, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of nuances in, in how this data is used. And I, I'm glad we have the opportunity on this podcast to bring that, um, that out. Okay, Paul, we'll continue on with a bit of a historical perspective on this. When the process for estimating harvest first came about, and I know you weren't, uh, uh, some, of your, some of your colleagues might accuse you of being around and being employed by the service back in the 50s, but uh, I know better. But so based on your work in the, in the service, what can you tell us about the initial methods that, uh, that were used and any particular failures or successes that were worth uh, noting from back in the day? Sure. Well, the the waterfowl harvest survey was started in the 1950s. I think 1952 maybe was the first year it was a nationwide survey. And uh, the first big issue in getting the survey started is how do you get the names and addresses of 50 to 100,000 duck hunters nationwide to send a survey to? Well, at the time, almost all federal duck stamps were sold at post offices and so that provided uh, the the potential opportunity for a really good accounting of all federal duck stamp purchasers in other words all waterfowl hunters uh which uh what we would call that in 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 the survey business a sample frame uh, or a sample universe that's the universe of all the people that you're interested in that you want to sample from so the Fish and Wildlife Service um, worked out uh, an agreement with the U.S. Postal Service where every year the Fish and Wildlife Service would select a sample of post offices nationwide, send them, uh, send them a bunch of name and address postcards, uh, postage paid postcards, and the postal clerks were asked to hand out one of these postcards with every duck stamp they sold. And the postcard just had a place on it for the hunter to put their name and address and, and a couple of other little pieces of information and then drop it in the mailbox. And that was where they got their, uh, their sample of, of 100 to back then. It was 100,000 or so hunters every year. Make sure I heard you correctly. So this wasn't a completely random sample across all waterfowl hunters necessarily. It was a random sample of post offices that were servicing, so to speak, the hunters. Is that right? That's right. Um, the, it was a random sample at first in the first couple of years, but then it became a, a stratified sample where uh, you quickly figure out that there's a lot more duck hunters in some states than there are in others. And, of, and of course, you, you want to have a, a, at least a reasonable estimate at the state level. Um, so, uh, so, so, uh, we use that information on where duck stamps are sold to help decide which post offices would get uh, uh, would get sampled every year to hand out these cards. It was a di- it was a different set of post offices every year. Yeah, and that initial sample you'd get how many uh, how many postcards back? Fifty thousand to a hundred thousand? Is that what you said? In the beginning, it was in the first decade or two, it was a hundred thousand and. And then it uh, started to go downhill. So, what happens once they uh, once they send that in? Send in that postcard. The uh, uh, the people that sent in the postcard were then sent a a, a questionnaire, a, a survey at the end of the hunting season, 
uh, asking them how many ducks and geese they shot. And the postcard that they got had had, a, had an attachment on it. Uh, the, the name and address postcard they got at the post office had an, had an attachment on it that told them, you're going to get a survey at the end of the season, so please keep track of your hunting. So they got the survey, and the early in the early years, the survey asked the hunters to report how many ducks and geese they shot by species. And uh, that was in the 50s. And um, it didn't take too long uh, for people to figure out that, uh, uh, that a substantial number of hunters were not that great at identifying ducks. That's, that's funny that you, it's funny that you say that because there was recently, a, and you may have even seen this, a recent publication. Uh, there's actually been two publications of this type that I, that I know of. One was uh, authored by my former uh, supervisor within the Gulf Coast Joint Venture, Barry Wilson. That was part of his uh, master's work where he was sort of gauging the ability of waterfowl hunters to identify different species from in-hand um, um, taxidermy mounts of different species. He would actually go to the to the boat ramps or check stations and ask people to identify these birds that he had taxidermy mounts of. But then more recently, I think even, well, it was 2019, where uh, they had an, another publication came out. I forget the, the researcher's name, but it um, it quantified the ability of hunters to identify waterfowl species. And that was one of the uh, one of the comments that they made is the because of this is it's really important for us to have other methods uh, rather than relying on the hunter's identification skills alone to estimate uh, the species that are harvested because of kind of what you're starting to allude to here. So uh, so tell us what happened at that point once you realized that, hey, hunters aren't as good as at identifying these species that we would like for them to be. Yeah, it, and it manifested itself in, in what what was uh, pretty obviously overestimating mallard harvest because uh, – uh, you know, green heads uh, are easy enough, but brown ducks, well, they all kind of look like hen mallards. So I think probably a lot of the brown ducks were were uh, um, were reported as hen mallards, and um, that that was what uh, that was what resulted in a, a much larger estimate of mallard harvest than was expected. So uh, for some hunters, it's uh, green heads, brown ducks, and black and white ducks, and and doesn't go much further than that, or at least back then that was the case. So biologists uh, saw that and started working on trying to figure out a way to identify the species and also the age and sex of, uh, of ducks from their wing plumage. And uh, that worked out pretty well. And in 1959, the Fish and Wildlife Service did a test run of a new wing survey. Uh, and they conducted that on Minnesota hunters. Um, the test was for two things: one, to see if hunters would even do it, would you know, mail in duck wings, and second, to see if the postal service would cooperate. Well, the test was successful on both counts, so it was expanded to the entire Mississippi Flyway in 1960, and then throughout the lower 48 states in 1961. Um, Alaska was added to the uh, parts that's called the Parts Collection Survey. Alaska was added to that survey in 1966, and since then it's been conducted nationwide uh, every year. And that's where we get our species composition estimates for the annual harvest. 
the idea, I could imagine some of those conversations back in the day where you're thinking, well, um, we're going to ask hunters to remove the wings of the ducks they're harvesting to um, mail those in. We're going to trust the Postal Service to actually um, handle these wings from uh, from dead animals. And so <laughs> I'm sure there were a lot of unanswered questions and uncertainty whenever that thing was first imagined. But, uh, you know, lo and behold, that stuff is continuing. That process continues to this day. And I'm sure there are many of our listeners that are familiar with those envelopes, the parts collection survey, the, um, the those manila colored envelope with i think some kind of green checkered on them checkering on them so uh they're very identifiable uh, envelopes and so uh, many folks that have probably participated in that so paul tell me a little uh, about you know what you know of the, how hunters initially reacted to the request to participate in this survey and and then how have things what have you observed with respect to uh, hunter response hunter reaction through the years well, um, for the uh, uh, mail survey part of it, the, the, just the questionnaire part, hunter participation was really pretty high, especially at first, and for, and for several decades after that survey started. Uh, it's only been fairly recently that participation rates have dropped, maybe the last 10 or 15 years or so. Uh, the wing survey is uh, a lot more uh, labor-intensive. It takes a lot more effort and dedication and <laughs> And, and time for a hunter to participate in that properly. So um, for the most part, I think uh, uh, participation rates have been pretty good in the wing survey too, but that has declined in recent years too. Uh, I don't know, maybe that has to do with some with the general decline in the trust of the federal government. Who knows? <laughs> I think at this point, we want to try to wrap up a discussion of the historical perspective of this. And Paul, perhaps a good final question is for you to talk big picture about uh, how methods for estimating harvest have changed over the years. And that'll kind of lead to a close on this episode and then set the stage for us to come back and talk about modern day harvest estimation. Sure. Well, after the wing survey, the next big change was switching the entire survey system from that previous uh, federal duck stamp-based waterfowl har harvest survey that I described earlier to the harvest information program-based migratory bird harvest surveys. And um, I guess... That's what we're going to talk about next. Okay, and so that Harvest Information Program, the acronym that folks will, will know is HIP. So what that is, Harvest Information Program. Paul and Kathy, I think that that's going to wrap it up on this episode. We've covered uh, kind of big picture history of waterfowl harvest estimation in the U.S. and, and why it's important. And, of course, we have uh, the big conversation of modern-day harvest estimation and, and uh, what it consists of and all the, the, the contemporary pieces of that process. So – we want to come back and uh, do that as a separate episode. So we're going to wrap up this episode, uh, this one here, and we thank you for coming on and share this information with us, and we'll, we look forward to the next episode with you. Great. Thanks for having okay, us. Okay. Thank you. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Kathy Fleming and Dr. Paul Padding, for sharing their extensive knowledge and, and expertise and experience with waterfowl harvest estimation in the United States. Uh, we also thank our producer, Clay Baird, for the, uh, the work that he does in getting the podcast out to you. I also want to take this time on behalf of our special guest to, to thank any of the hunters out there that have participated in these surveys. The information you provide, the time that you take to fill out these surveys is incredibly valuable for the management of the resource, and we thank you for, for that time. 
Uh, to all our listeners, we thank you as always for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.